Before the human race harnessed the power of fire, there was only darkness, an inky black foreboding abyss that concealed danger, mystery, and fear. Into that darkness, brave men would not venture, for as the map says, here, there be monsters. Good evening, and welcome to Here There Be Monsters podcast. I am your captain, Derek Hayes. Tonight, I want to explore a topic we touched on in last week's a la carte episode. If you remember, I played a call from Western Massachusetts that seemed to describe a Sasquatch encounter. Here's a portion of that call to jog your memory. Hi, I'm calling from Massachusetts. I'm a, a performer, and in 2001... I was working with a local um, Halloween attraction. So one night, a couple of weeks into the performance schedule, um, I was waiting for my tour group to come through for the next part of the performance. I looked over into a stretch of trees. I noticed uh, when I looked over that there was a figure. I thought at first maybe I was seeing a tree a little bit weird or something. Very, very tall, very broad-shouldered. Gave me the impression of almost like a football player, which, and this figure just sort of stood there. They were maybe about 50 feet away from me. The figure simply turned around and walked away, and it was very, very strange, but um, I did notice that sort of the head roughly about uh, uh, seven and a half feet off the ground, so this was an extremely tall individual. As I promised in last week's episode, I researched the area this call stems from and found some interesting information. According to the BFRO website, that's the Bigfoot Field Research Organization for those not familiar, there have been 17 Sasquatch sightings reported in western Massachusetts, the latest of which came in February of this year. That report, submitted by a gentleman named Tom, was posted on February 28th of this year. His encounter took place near the Mount Washington State Forest in western Massachusetts. Here is his report. Hello. I've been a believer that Bigfoot exists for years just based on how many people have reported seeing or hearing something over hundreds of years. I am 64 years old and have been hiking and camping ever since I was about 12 years old, and I have seen and heard many things in the woods. On February 27, 2016, my friend Dean and I set out for an overnight camping trip in Mount Washington State Forest in Massachusetts. I always record our adventure on video, but this time I decided to run an MP3 recorder all night and get the sounds of the night. I did get what I think was a bobcat walking up to our tent, but around 2am I was awake again because it was very cold and hard to sleep. I was only half awake when I heard a real loud noise, but not awake enough to really tell what it was except that it was a good ways off. I knew I was recording audio, so I noted the time so I could find it on my recorder and went back to sleep. 
or at least I tried to. When I got home, I found the sound on my MP3 recorder, and it sounds a lot like a wood knock, but judging from the amount of echo and how loud it was from so far away, it had to be something real big that made that noise. I do not think even Babe Ruth could swing a bat fast and hard enough to make that sound. It sounded like it was a good half mile away. Thanks, Tom. Here is an actual recording of the sound Tom is referring to. Now, I'll be honest, I'm the last person in the world to use wood knocking as evidence for a creature such as Sasquatch. Chances are good that you'll hear other Bigfoot hunters bashing on trees before you hear a legitimate Sasquatch. But before we pass judgment on what this could or could not be, let's review some more information. The following newspaper article was published in the Berkshire Eagle on August 23, 1983. It stood on two legs, silhouetted on the trail in the moonlight. It was huge. I don't scare easily, but it scared me. So said Eric Durant, 18, of 183 First Street, one of the two men who came to the Eagle office yesterday to report their sighting of a strange human-like creature Sunday night on October Mountain. Durant's companion was Frederick Parody, 22, of 771 Tyler Street. They said the episode took place near the former Boy Scout Camp Eagle, which is on Felton Lake in the town of Washington, and has been abandoned since 1970. They said they had been having a steak and chicken cookout with two friends. At about 10 p.m., Durant said he heard noises in the woods. Around midnight, he and one of the others decided to investigate. He said when they were about 100 yards away from the cookout site, they spotted the creature 50 yards ahead of them on the trail, silhouetted in the moonlight. They rejoined the party, which ended about an hour later. Both said it was not a drinking party, that there was only one six-pack of beer among the four participants. Durant said he doesn't drink anyway. As the quartet was about to leave, the headlights of their car picked up the creature, lurking behind some bushes. According to Durant and Parody, they said it was erect on two legs and six to seven feet tall. It was dark brown in color and had strange eyes that glowed, they said. Both were emphatic in saying that it was not a bear. Parody said he has hunted bears in Maine and was quite familiar with how they look. Parody said he got out of the car and began walking toward it, and it quickly disappeared. Whatever it was, he said, it didn't look like it was going to harm you. Parody said he and one of the others returned to the scene yesterday at midday and caught a fleeting glimpse of the creature again. It moved extremely fast, he said. About all he really saw, he said, were arms moving in the woods. He said he plans to return Thursday just before dusk and would stay most of the night if necessary, trying to see the creature again. I found that story particularly interesting because the witness went back the next morning and witnessed it a second time. The boys sound authentic. Well, at least as authentic as a 33-year-old newspaper article can. I do wonder, though, if something influenced these young men. The long-running and very popular television series In Search Of ended a little over a year from the date of their report. I wonder if that wildly popular program had any influence on their experience at all. In addition to the 17 BFRO-submitted reports, I stumbled upon an account from the eastern side of the state that tells of a man named John Baker. Allegedly, Baker was out trapping in the Hockamock Swamp in southeast Massachusetts when he came across a beast he could not explain. The following excerpt is from the 2013 documentary entitled The Bridgewater Triangle. 
Deceased West Bridgewater resident John Baker reported his own Bigfoot sighting while fur trapping in the Hockamock Swamp in the early 1980s. A Boston Herald article featured an interview with Baker concerning his encounter. The following are direct quotes from Baker, read by the article's author, Ed Hayward. Something was following me, and I knew it was big. So I took the boat down a small creek to a dry hill, and it kept moving. I knew it wasn't a human, because when it passed by me, I could smell it. Smelled like skunk, musty and dirty, like it lived in the dirt. My heart was up in my throat. To this day, I don't know what it was, but I know I saw it, and it was out there. It's hard to say what Mr. Baker saw that day. As the clip mentioned, he's since deceased, so perhaps we'll never know. It is interesting that his background was in trapping, an activity that would put him in the swamps for many hours. Enough hours, surely, to become accustomed to the wildlife in that area. In my mind, it would be hard for him to misidentify such a creature. Of course, it's entirely possible that Mr. Baker has a mischievous streak, and simply spun a tale for a visiting reporter. I could find no further elaboration on his character to back up either claim. John Baker's story did lead me down yet another rabbit hole, however. I had heard of the Hockamock Swamp area and the Bridgewater Triangle, but had done little research into either stories, until now. Anyone local to the Massachusetts area will tell you that if it's creepy and mysterious you seek, then you need to visit a place called the Bridgewater Triangle. The Bridgewater Triangle refers to an area of about 200 square miles located within southeastern Massachusetts. It's long claimed to be the site of alleged paranormal activity ranging from UFOs to ghosts, Sasquatch sightings, giant snakes, thunderbirds, trolls, as well as the mutilation of cattle and other livestock. Good evening. Tonight we enter a place where paranormal is normal and skeptics become believers. At least that's the story of a new documentary, The Bridgewater Triangle. It focuses on a part of southeastern Massachusetts that is reportedly home to legends and mysteries. One particular spot of interest, the Hockamock Swamp. John Horrigan is the film's narrator. At the epicenter of the Bridgewater Triangle is a 17,000-acre tract of densely wooded wetlands known as the Hockamock Swamp. It's a massive wilderness area, and most of the most compelling and the most consistent stories come from the Hockamock Swamp area. The swamp extends into several towns, including Bridgewater, Easton, Raynham, Taunton, West Bridgewater, and parts of Norton. The Hockamock serves as both a wildlife management area and as an important water source for the surrounding communities. In addition to its environmental importance, the swamp plays a significant role in Native American history. The word Hockamock originates from the Algonquin word, meaning place where spirits dwell. We know that there are at least 1,000 graves out there that are 8,000 plus years old. And we also know that it's been sacred to the Native Americans for at least that time. In fact, they remember a time when it was actually a glacier, which is when the swamp itself becomes the swamp. This was a place where they could hunt and fish and also be protected from other tribes. After the outbreak of King Philip's War, the swamp was used as a hiding place for the native population. 
the dark and ominous wetlands served as the perfect staging ground for native raids against nearby European settlements. If you know the swamp, you have a big tactical advantage over someone who, who doesn't. Largely viewed as the beating heart of the Bridgewater Triangle, the Hockamock Swamp has seen more than its share of alleged strange occurrences. You know, when you're talking about legends and the paranormal, it's got to be the right setting. You are probably never going to make a documentary about a haunted McDonald's. It's just the wrong setting. It could be the most haunted place on Earth, but it's not the right context for people to understand and appreciate a ghostly legend. The Hockamock Swamp is, it's the right setting. The best evidence that there's something very unusual happening is the consistent and constant reports from people who have been in the Hockamock Swamp and reported an eerie, unearthly feeling of being watched. It makes them very uncomfortable. It's something that can be startling even to experienced people in the wilderness, hunters, trappers, and outdoorsmen. The Hockamock Swamp has long been the focus of cryptozoologists or those who study the existence of cryptic animals. Ape-like bipeds, enormous birds, snakes the size of stovepipes, giant cats, and ravenous red-eyed dogs have all been reported, both within the remote swampland and in the swamp's surrounding communities. Renowned cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman has been researching and investigating cryptozoological mysteries since 1960. One of the world's foremost leaders in the field Coleman has written extensively about cryptic animal encounters from all corners of the globe. In 1975, I moved from California to Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I started picking up on this whole notion that there was an area in southeast Massachusetts that almost was a magnet of weird phenomena. And because of the three Bridgewaters, there was already a hint that there was a triangle in the area. And I started looking and plotting different sightings, different incidents on a map, and really noticed it was a triangle. That clip was from WCVB in Boston. So naturally, I easily drummed up a story about a Bigfoot creature in the Hockamock Swamp. This tale comes to us from the Today in Bigfoot History blog. 1987, Hockamock Swamp, Massachusetts. Baffled girl emerges from swamp. 12-year-old Elizabeth Lynch wandered out of the Hockamock Swamp late in the afternoon. Elizabeth Lynch had been reported missing for nearly a week when she was found. Nearly unharmed, Elizabeth was completely baffled as to how long she was missing. She remembers becoming separated from her brother, Eugene, when they were exploring the wetlands. Her brother scared her with a tale of wild goat creature that sucked the blood of little girls. Eugene reported to his parents and the authorities... It was as if his little sister had vanished in the thin air. She was a few feet away, pouting as he poked a log with a stick. When he turned back to say something to her, she was gone. The story Elizabeth recounted involved a disorganized series of events. She remembered a big nest high in a tree, a gentle Bigfoot who showed her around the swamp, and possibly a young Bigfoot who was her playmate. The authorities, disbelieving the account of a Bigfoot, suspect that the child was abducted by swamp people who most likely were going to try to ransom the child until they thought better of their scheme and let her go. So, yeah, take that one as you will. After researching the Bridgewater Triangle and Hockamock Swamp area, I asked some of my listeners to submit a few stories about their experiences in that area. Unfortunately, in that short time crunch, I was only able to collect one call. Let's listen to that call now. 
Hello, my name is Greg. Um, I live in the North Shore area of Massachusetts, in a very small town surrounded by woods. I was 14 years old, <clears throat> so it must have been. God, you're asking me to date myself. Uh, that would have been let's see, 2004, 2005. Um, it was about 12 o'clock <clears throat> on a summer afternoon, and I was up in my room and I was playing on my DS. And I was looking outside my window, and I saw a UFO. No joke, probably about, probably say a quarter mile away from the trees. I could see it pretty clearly because it took up a good chunk of airspace. And it was just floating there. I thought, there's got to be some logical explanation to this thing. As I'm staring out looking at it, because the light on it was spinning side, it was spinning vertically around, and I could make out, it looked like an LED, it looked like LEDs, but I was like, there's no way, nope, nope, I'm not looking at a UFO, there's no way I'm looking at a UFO, next morning, I look up, same, through the same clump of trees, I'm like, I really see that last night, I was like, there's no way I actually saw that. You know, I just kind of blew it off, and the more I thought about it, the more I became an outdoors kind of person. And the more I looked up at the sky, I'm like, I saw it. I freaking saw a UFO. I'm a humble person. I don't look for anything along the lines of recognition for this. But, but that night, I know I saw an unidentified flying object. And it had a red spinning vertical light. And it was almost like two saucers, and but in the middle was the LED lights. It looked like LED lights. It was bright, and it was red. And the lights would spin in one direction, going counterclockwise, and then it would stop and start going counterclockwise. Uh, and it would stop again, and it would start going counterclockwise. I must have watched this thing for probably 10, 15 minutes. And I looked down, and it just disappeared. It was gone. So, yeah, that's my story. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you, Greg, for calling in. Apparently, there have been a plethora of UFO sightings in and near that area. I wish you'd somehow been able to photograph the lights before they disappeared from view. It would be really interesting to analyze those pictures. Thanks again for calling in. In what can only be assumed association with the constant UFO sightings, back in the 1970s, a creature known as the Dover Demon spread fear and panic across the Dover, Massachusetts area. The Dover Demon was a sandpaper-skinned, bright orange creature that was witnessed several times over a week's span in April of 1977. The following newspaper article ran in the Banger Daily News on May 16th of 1977. Teeners Report Creature Dover, Massachusetts, AP Police say recent reports of strange orange-eyed creatures were probably nothing more than a school vacation hoax, but a few nagging doubts linger. Three teenagers have reported seeing a creature resembling comic book conceptions of a spaceman at night last month along dark, lonely roads in this community of 5,000, about 15 miles southwest of Boston. The only thing that worries me is the story of Bill Bartlett, 17, one of the witnesses, said Police Chief Carl Sheridan. He described the youth as an outstanding artist and a reliable witness. 
A police spokesman said reports of the sighting were not made public by police until last week. He said officers searched the areas of the reported sightings without finding anything. The teenagers say the creature has no ears, no mouth, and no nose. It is described as three and a half feet tall, with a white, melon-like head, rough skin, and glowing eyes. Two of the teenagers made sketches. One was by Bartlett, who is a member of the Boston's Copley Art Society, a well-known amateur art guild. It scared me to death. I couldn't go back and see it, said Bartlett, the first person to report seeing the creature. He told the Associated Press he was driving along Farm Street at 10.30 p.m. April 21st when he spotted something on top of a broken stone wall. Fast forward nearly 30 years. The Boston Globe did a piece about Bill Bartlett. It seems that Bartlett's still standing by his statements, despite the fact that they've made his life difficult. I will only read a few quotes of his, since the article is rather lengthy, but you can read it in its entirety in the show notes. Dover, 29 years later, William Bartlett stands by his story of what he saw on Farm Street that night. It was an eerie, human-like creature, he said, about four feet with glowing eyes, no nose and no mouth, and a watermelon-shaped head. I have no idea what it was, Bartlett, now a 46-year-old artist living in Needham, said in a recent interview. I definitely know I saw something. In a lot of ways, it's kind of embarrassing to me, said Bartlett. I definitely saw something. It was definitely weird. I didn't make it up. Sometimes I wish I had. Once, his wife Gwen, browsing the horror section of a bookstore, flipped open an encyclopedia of monsters, and there was an entry about her husband and the Dover Demon. It's a thing that's been following me for years, Bartlett said. Not the creature, the story. Sometimes I dread every Halloween getting phone calls. It really sounds like he saw something that evening. What it was, I don't think anybody knows, but the account clearly struck a nerve with that region. The story's longevity can attest to that. In addition to Sasquatch, UFOs, and the Dover Demon, there have been persistent tellings of a small, troll-like creature called a Puckwudgie. A Puckwudgie is a two- to three-foot-tall creature from Wapanog folklore. The Wapanog were a tribe of Native Americans that originated from the area in and around present-day Massachusetts. Puckwudgie's features resemble those of a human, but with enlarged noses, fingers, and ears. Their skin is described as being a smooth gray, and at times has been known to glow. According to lore, Puckwudgies can appear and disappear at will, luring humans to dangerous situations and even to their deaths. They've also been said to use magic, poison arrows, and even fire as weapons. Check out this clip from Animal Planet's Freak Encounters. The Puckwudgie are a tribe of cunning, evil, and mysterious troll-like creatures who are said to have haunted Native American tribes for hundreds of years. They would steal people's weapons and tools and clothing. Uh, sometimes they would start fires. And then they really became not just a nuisance, but, but very dangerous. They started kidnapping and killing the Native children. They started setting fire uh, to whole villages. And they drove the Native people into the forest and then killed them. Despite their small stature, the Pukwudgie are menacing creatures. According to legend, 
they possess the ability to shapeshift, to create spontaneous bursts of fire, and to attack their enemies with a wide variety of poisonous weapons. History has shown that the Pukwudgie doesn't give up. Certainly over time, many people have had minor injuries, but there's also reports of death either by what seems to be an accident and could easily have been Pukwudgie involvement or from suicide that the Pukwudgies seem to have influenced. You have a wide range. Whatever the Pukwudgie's in the mood for that day, that's the destruction that he lets loose. Okay, look. I have nothing but respect for the Native American culture. I find their lore, stories, and heritage fascinating. That said, this is one I just can't get behind. It'd be one thing if there were videos out there showing alleged puckwudgies in action, but there's virtually nothing out there in the way of evidence. I will admit, they're fun to think about. A scary campfire story, but in my humble opinion, nothing more. And I leave you with that. Thank you all for listening this evening. I want to remind all the listeners out there that I need your calls to continue the show. Without them, it's simply me talking and nobody wants that. So if you have a story or know someone that does, please pick up the phone and dial one 608 That's 888-608-6444. You will be routed to a voicemail recorder where you can leave your story. I will again mention that the maximum length of each call is five minutes. So if you get cut off, simply call back and continue your tale. If calling is not your thing, head on over to our website at www.heretherebemonsterspodcast.com and click on the Submit Your Story tab. There you will find a completely anonymous submission field where you can leave your story. While you're there, check out the show notes for each show for links and details about the people, places, and things showcased in each episode. Follow the show on Instagram. Simply search for Here There Be Monsters Podcast. And while you're at it, do the same for Facebook. I post all kinds of stuff on both to pique your interest. Lastly, if you like cryptozoology, and I know you do, head on over to www.cryptopia.us and stay up to snuff on all the current crypto news. Once again, I want to thank you all for listening, and until next week, good night. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts.